Yeah, on. an album and one of the twins is boogieing right now and it's not me oh you guys should see these moves you should see these moves all right yeah yeah sorry sorry i was i was dancing sorry you were, you were in the zone over there he's pissed off i'm in a zone <laughs> I'm in a zone, man. I'm in a zone. I mean, See, have you gone back and rewatched White Men Can't Jump and realized how ridiculous? I mean, how does a movie like that get made? Yet it's, I mean, it's so great. It's incredibly, I mean, rewatchable, as they say, but what a ridiculous movie. <laughs> yeah, completely. There's really like in essence the movie should be about 15 minutes long you know? <laughs> yeah. and those parts are incredible and there's just so much unnecessary fluff but even those parts are kind of amazing too so i don't know yeah it, it's 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 like held up well for all the wrong reasons you know but uh yeah classic just a classic and i and the one thing i did love i i must say i always loved and in fact i and we talked about it a little bit on the Faith the More episode, but the parental advisory logo, that shirt that Billy Hoyle wears, that Woody Harrelson wears with the parental advisory logo. I always wanted, I still want one of those. Never really got a proper parental advisory shirt. Maybe I'll have to, I'm sure there are some on eBay or something. I'll have to cruise for one of those. That was a very desired 90s shirt. There's no doubt about it, for sure. It's funny you said the phrase, all the wrong reasons. Do you know the significance of the phrase all the right reasons for tonight's band? I think I do. Was that the was that the album that preceded tonight's album? It I was I think it was two before. I'd have to look. I it was it was not the one that preceded. I think it was either two or maybe even three before, but it's fun, you know, two twins in an album. It's just crazy the way things work out. You utter the phrase all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Because of a white man can't jump tangent. <laughs> and that happens to be the name of a hit album by tonight's artist. Isn't that just amazing, T? Well, let's be, you know, we're all about transparency here at Two Twins in an Album. We've been planning on doing this episode now for about five minutes. I mean, this is about as spontaneous as we've ever been. Both of us happen to be, uh, we're going to get out of Michigan for a little while coming up. And we kind of realized, hey, we might want to record something. And uh, we were like, okay, well, how about right now? And okay, let's do right now. So, you know, those of our, our listeners absolutely know our lack of preparation is part of the hallmark of two twins in an album, but tonight takes the lack of any preparation, I think to a new level. <laughs> well, I don't know if you can get any more unprepared than, than we are, but um, we'll, we'll keep trying. See, the theme of tonight's show is going to be probably the element of modern life that I despise the most. And it's not tonight's band, even though many do despise tonight's band more than any other band in modern life. But the word is bias. That's the theme of tonight's show. And 
this show tonight is is going to be much more about bias than it is about Nickelback. And I think that bias is sort of ruining our world. It's sort of ruining all of our abilities to, you know, be happy and get good information and produce good information. And bias has become this thing that we've all had to suffer through and live through. But I think bias does come into play when it comes to music. You know, I think just like anything else in our world today, there's intense biases about, oh, this band is one thing or this band is another thing. And I think tonight's band, the reason why it's a fascinating choice, whether you love the band or hate the band, and they certainly have people on both sides, is it's probably the band that has suffered the most, in my opinion, of any modern musical act from bias. And in their case, it's really biased against them. And I continue to not truly understand it. Well, we've spent, you know, quite, quite a bit of time through the last 38 episodes, you know, splashing in here and there are our thoughts on tonight's band. And it's like any other art form. You have people that are into certain artists, people that are into certain styles, people that are into certain approaches for a lot of different reasons. and. The problem with something that can become commercial, which music is a commercial art form in in nearly every instance, is when people start to disregard the art itself and cloud it with the person who created it or become critical of the process or the method or the assumed intention of said art without just examining it for what it is. And listen, the beauty of music is some people like stuff and some people don't like stuff. You know, there's plenty of stuff that is out there that, I mean, we talked about Kid A a few episodes ago. People, some people loved Kid A and, you know, we both put it in the for sale bin and basically spent, you know, an hour and 20 minutes talking about all the reasons why we weren't that into it. And that's okay. That's part of the beauty of it. If people don't like tonight's band because they just simply don't like, you know, what's being produced and what's being executed, that's fine. Yeah. That that's called taste. That's called, we all have it. That's called taste. If people don't like what they're hearing because it's who they're hearing it from, that's a problem. And you get into this sometimes where it's like, well, I kind of like the music, but I don't like their fans, you know, or I kind of like the music, but I don't really like the front man. And, you know, to an extent, I get it because it's all sort of part of a package. But, you know, what we're setting out to do on the old podcast here and and I think what we've set out to do as just music appreciators is to take the art for what it is. And, you know, something being too poppy or too produced or too this or too, I mean, sure, that can happen. But I think that, you know, tonight's band has certainly caught a bad rap at times where people overlook what's being delivered because of who it's being delivered by. And we're just not going to do that. On the, we said in episode zero way back when that we just weren't going to do that. And so that's what makes tonight a, uh, a cool choice by you. And 
you know, we can get down and dirty with a true kind of analysis of uh, this particular recording from this particular band without clouding or biasing, to your point, any of our critique or any of our uh, analysis by who did it. We're just going to listen to it and decide if it's good or not. And that's what I think people should be doing more of when it comes to music. I think it's well said. I think people should be doing that uh, in areas uh, well outside of music as well. Don't you think we'd have a better world if there was less bias? I am going to pose a question to you throughout the show. And it's a very simple question. And I'll be looking for very simple responses. And the question is, why do people hate this band so much? And we will pursue the answer to that question as we look at the most recent album from Nickelback, Feed the Machine. But before we put that album on our turntables, let's figure out what else has been on our turntables of late as we take things round and round. Here we go. T3 albums that you have been digging of late. What do you got? Very good. I'll have a Bloody Mary, a steak sandwich, and a steak sandwich. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've been known every now and again to pull a live album out. Not the band live, but a live recording. And Are, li- uh, are live recordings allowed in round? I think we need to check with the judges. Don't you think? Okay, let's go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll wait. Yep, that's fine. Let me consult with the judges here. Yep. There's definitely some discussion going on. Okay, they're going to accept live albums. Wow, That's good. Okay. That's good to that know moving a, forward. Yeah. That was a nail biter. Um, ACDC Live. Now, there was a double disc of this, which is very thorough. And then there was a single disc. I mean, the double disc has some stuff that's just awesome, you know, that um, really kind of got missed out on by the single disc. So, you know, the 10 minute version of High Voltage is just so good. The long piece of Let There Be Rock. Um, you know, the razor's got, edge. I remember as the one razor's edge is on there. Absolutely. The Jack, um, you know, great stuff, great stuff on the double disc. So I've been, you know, definitely, uh, absorbing that one, you know, quite a bit. Uh, the, uh, the second is an album from a band called, uh, ACDC and this is called Powerage, uh, you know, which is a nice, you know, didn't have any of the signature tunes on it. But uh, a, a great offering from these guys at their really kind of raw, you know, heyday, which, uh, which I definitely uh, appreciated. And the third on my round and round is uh, an album from a band called ACDC, and this is called Black Ice, which is a more recent release. These guys continued to kick out good records. In fact, I think the last two that they put out have been really good. You know, that was, I think that was two albums ago, if I'm not mistaken. But if you've yet to get around to checking out their most recent, which was called Power Up, it's a great album. Uh, But Black Ice is one that's uh, spinning round and round for me a little bit. So those are the records that I've been absorbing uh, this week. And that's what's round and round for me. Nubs, what do you got, buddy? Little theme there to your round and round. Very, uh, Shall we say a high voltage uh, round and round there? Undoubtedly in an ACDC phase this week. So make sure and go back and watch some Bon Scott interviews too. That guy was a fantastic interview. I just, I, I love the whole Bon Scott thing, man. It's, it's so sad that he left so early because that guy was just the ultimate 
rock front man, you know? I have to give actually Mrs. Nub some credit for this week's runaround. We have put a uh, record player on our main floor of our house, T, and dig this. Now we can play records and it will play throughout the entire house. So we've wired our house so we can play vinyl and have it play in every single room. So, you know, but now there's a little more compromise uh, in terms of what's selected, which is okay because she has, you know, pretty good taste in a lot of ways. And one of her selections this week was uh, the Daryl Hall and John Oates album, Private Eyes. And so we uh, enjoyed that one. That was one of the first uh, christenings of the new record player that pipes throughout the house. So that was nice. Valkyrie's Fear. This is now from 2020. Valkyrie is a band on Relapse Records, a really good kind of stoner rock, doom metal band, but lots of complex musical stuff going on there. It's an album I really recommend to those who have probably never heard of this band, but the new album Fear is very, very good. T, is there an album that you own multiple copies of? Like, and by multiple, I mean, you know, several in different formats. Do you, do you have that or do you pretty much own one version of each album? Uh, in your collection um well well normal people you know normal non-insane people typically yeah own one um copy of uh, of an album that they love but i know that there are a lot of uh the opposite which would be abnormal uh, in clinically insane people maybe even one that co-hosts this podcast for instance, that probably have, you know, multiple versions of the same album, but no, typically I think one is sufficient. So. All right. Well, that proves my clinically insane nature. And that is because my third album is Genesis, a trick of the tale, 1976 album. This is the first one with Phil Collins on lead vocals. The reason why is because I just bought a new reissue of it, you know, needed it. I think it's my fifth copy of a trick of the tale but this one you know what was all this nonsense last week about you downsizing well yeah i downsize so i can do stuff like this you know who needs <laughs> who needs the the sheena easton album or whatever when i can you know yeah. when you can have multiple versions of a trick of the tale okay that yeah that that makes sense certainly. but t and you'll appreciate this this one's on yellow vinyl all right so how how could i go on another day without Owning the 2021 version of this that happens to be on yellow colored vinyl. I mean, come on. Yeah. Now, now, yeah, now it definitely makes sense. So, so I assume you got rid of the previous, um, you know, non yellow vinyl copy. No, I still have my original master recording version of it. Sure. I still sure. have my Japanese import with the Obi strip. I still have my U S pressing of it, but now I have the yellow version. Oh yeah. And I also have the reissue from 2016. So, I mean, look, you got to have them all, right? I mean, you, you, it's not, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I didn't purchase this, but it has led to enjoying uh, the album again. And it is a very, very good record. I think it's a, maybe a little overrated in Genesis lore, but it, it is the first album with Phil on lead vocals and it's very good. It's got some uh, outstanding songs on it. Have you ever considered uh, professional help? No, so many times. But they all tell me I'm too crazy. So you know, as, long as, as long as you're considering it, that's, that's, you know, that's good. So T, we kind of kicked around during the intro, this idea of, of bias and why do people hate this band so much? So I think we'll address some of this as we learned a little bit more about Nickelback and let's do that right now. T, it's just like in your round and round. Let's check in with ACDC 
as we do the nerdy deeds done dirt cheap. You want some dirty deeds? Yeah. You want some dirty deeds? Feed the Machine is Nickelback's ninth studio album. It's their ninth album. And I think what's funny about this is that I still consider Nickelback a newer band. I mean, I was planning on bragging on the fact that, you know, we don't just look at older bands. Dude, Nickelback's been together for 26 years. 26, they formed in 1995. And this is their ninth album. And it was released on June 16th of 2017. So T, one important show note for those who follow us regularly is this is the newest album that we have talked about on the podcast. So, you know, we can do things that are somewhat recent, right? This is true. This is true. However, with all that being said, again, Nickelback, uh, the Canadian group has been together for, you know, gaining on three decades. So go figure. But uh, the album did very well. It uh, had three singles. Feed the Machine, the title track was released first. Song on Fire, which we'll get to as sort of, you know, one of the two ballads, if you will, was uh, the second single. And then Must Be Nice was released as the third single. So by 2017, you're not really measuring albums by sales. It charted very, very well. It was top 10 in many countries. And uh, it reached number two in, in the Canadian albums chart for Billboard. And for the US Billboard 200, it hit number five. It was number one on the top hard rock albums, but that list must be pretty short by the time you get to 2017. But it's hard because you know you, you can't measure things really as gold or platinum anymore because it's just such a different scale. But it is worthy of knowing that it did go silver in the United Kingdom. In the UK, it sold 60,000 units plus. So that's pretty darn good, you know, but uh, it came at a time where Nickelback was following up an album that, in my opinion, is, is probably their worst. I think this was a little bit of a return to form after kind of a crappy album, at least in my opinion. What do you think? No Fixed Address sucked. I mean, it sucked. It was not a good record. And, you know, these guys, you know, they, they've got to get everything working together, you know? And, and I think it was the songs, frankly. I mean, because, you know, same producer on that one as you have on, on tonight's album, Feed the Machine. It was definitely not some of their best composition. I mean, even the, the album before that, you know, Here and Now had a couple of really special Nickelback tunes. But um, yeah, I thought No Fixed Address was not only their weakest in the catalog, but it was actually a pretty bad album, all in all. It is really all about the songs when it comes to Nickelback. And, that, and that's part of that bias piece to, you know, to part of what removes the bias for those of us that just appreciate this band and enjoy this band. It's just a focus on the songs, the composition, like you said. I mean, they they really are, and especially Chad Krieger, just gifted songwriters. So let's go through this band. They've had great stability in their lineup, which is another really encouraging thing about Nickelback. It's very cool that they've really kind of stayed together. Of course, led by Chad Krieger on lead vocals and guitar. Ryan Peake, who's kind of that, you know, X Factor, maybe that secret weapon, guitar, keyboards, some background vocals, very, very strong guitar player, you know, big sound compliments Chad Krieger is playing really well. I think he's kind of an underrated player in terms of, you know, the, the greater rock scene, Mike Krieger, Chad's brother on bass, and then Daniel Adair on drums and backing vocals. So a pretty tight four piece that, you know, has developed obviously a great chemistry. If you're looking at a band that's been together for this long, the production was by Chris Baseford, 
deserves so much credit for what I think is an almost unparalleled sounding album. I mean, this album sounds just incredible. And again, you know, if you don't like the songs or you don't like the band, maybe you can at least appreciate the production T, but just the space of the way it's mixed, the sonic power of it. It's kind of the perfect volume in terms of mastering. I, I just think Chris Baseford, you know, deserves a lot of credit for an album that sounds, you know, from a sonic perspective, um, sounds pretty remarkable. Yeah. So the band worked with Mutt Lang uh, a, a few albums prior to this, and it seemed like they kind of shaped their sound around that a little bit. Very layered, very thick. A lot of, you know, Def Leppard style production, you know, um, which seems like they took a few things that they developed uh, with Mutt Lang and Chris Baseford. I'm not sure if he was a understudy of Mutt. I mean, he also produced Shinedown, right? So um, knew how to take, you know, this sort of commercial heavy sound and really thicken it and really bring out a lot of different dynamics and elements while also making it very digestible and all, and very commercial. So, you know, it, it's, it's the Mutt Lang playbook. Baseford seemed to um, know how to execute it. You know, I think he did his part on the previous record. Just the songs weren't any good. He does his part on this record. Obviously, the uh, quality of composition is uh, much improved, to say the least. It's very polished. I, and we can just get that out of the way right off the bat. I mean. The album production is, it's thoughtful, it's precise, it's super, super polished. I mean, White Stripes fans are not going to dig this. You know, if you're, if you're looking for like a garagey kind of rustic, raw rock sound, it ain't for you. You got to appreciate just all of the intention that went into creating a sound that is, it, it, it's, it's funny, T, because it's like radio ready at a time where radio is sort of dead, you know? So I, and I've always wondered that about, modern production? Are you, are you producing for it to sound good on a phone, for it to sound good out of a computer? But you're not really mastering and, and mixing for radio like you used to back in the day. But this one almost sounds like it's really made for radio. So it's like a made for radio album long after radio was relevant, you know? Yeah, it just, it sounds a lot, production-wise, it sounds a lot like Def Leppard back in the day. It really yeah, does. that's it's a good kinda, call. It's got that hysteria, adrenalized type feel to it. And hey, you know, plenty of people seem to appreciate that. So, you know, if you're a, if you're a true fan of, you know, commercial-driven, radio-driven uh, rock and roll that's a bit more polished and a bit more layered and a bit more produced, you know, when Def Leppard did it, it was cool. So Nickelback's doing it. And if you you know, put whatever bias, right? Nub, um, aside, this should be cool too. As long as it's driving the ship of some good songs. And I Look guess at we'll, you incorporating the show theme. Look at you. Yeah. I mean, you, you think I'm not paying attention over here. I'm paying attention. <laughs> the, the last nerdy deed of the album is it was released on, on BMG, which obviously is a huge corporation. It would certainly be considered a major label. And you and I have talked about, you know, there's really two bands out right now that are on major labels that are still putting out albums that are hard rock music. And that is the Foo Fighters, which is still putting out albums on RCA Records and Nickelback with its latest album on BMG. So props to the few remaining hard rock, you know, bands that we have left 
that continue to get major label support and put out high quality records to their legions of fans. And, and whether you want to compare Nickelback to Foo Fighters or not, I'm sure there's many people out there rolling their eyes. Um, the two are very comparable in a number of ways. And I'll tell you what, we, we should all be grateful that they're both still around and relevant and doing what they do. They're carrying the torch. Whether you like it or not, Nickelback is a huge part of carrying the rock and roll torch. See, let's uh, hear about how you carried your own Nickelback torch when we go to your Nickelback wondrous story. Let's hear it. All right, see, when and how did you get into Nickelback and feed the machine? I um I had a girlfriend in college who sort of like, you know, came up to me one day, like all giddy about something she had heard on the radio. And uh she was more in the country than anything else, but you know, liked liked to tune into the old rock radio, you know, the Kin City rock stations. And she was all fired up about this song she had heard, and she's like, you know, and it's just like rocks and it just, you know, and then for the next couple of days, it was like, I kept wondering, like, what is she talking about? And kept like putting on the radio in the car to see if it would come on. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're riding around a few days later and all of a sudden it pops on and you hear, up and down, up and run from the bottom of every battle. Just the words in my head said, are we having fun yet? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, this is it. This is what you're talking about. And she's like, yeah, yeah. This is this sweet. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that that was like my first was like, who's this band? It's this band Nickelback. It's like, okay. And then they proceeded to take over the world, you know, in terms of radio airplay and in terms of, you know, having a bunch of different hits. The thing I, the thing that kind of got me and sort of hooked me in on these guys more so than the rockers were the ballads. You know, they, this band, the more you dig into them, the more you realize, and, and we'll go through a couple of them tonight where it's like, damn, these guys really know how to put together a pretty, a pretty emotional ballad. And if you go through their catalog someday and, um, so like far away and, you know, saving me and I mean, lullaby might be their best song in their entire catalog off here and now. So, you know, these guys really knew how to put that together, which I don't think you're a true rock and roll band unless you know how to fire off the ballad. Right. I mean, come on. Like if you're just out there, like just grinding away at all the heavy stuff, I mean, that's good and everything. But I think what defined the best rock bands and even metal bands uh, are the ones that can uh, pull out. I mean, think about some of those hair metal ballads and, you know, even, you know, bands that got pretty gritty, able to come out with something that had some emotion and had kind of a slower tempo and approach to it. I mean, I think that's always when you can tell that a band's kind of for real. And I always really uh, enjoyed that about Nickelback. So obviously they're, you know, they're a more modern band. Um, so, you know, don't, don't have a, you know, too crazy of a story. I've never seen them live. Always wanted to. I feel like the people watching and the whole experience of a Nickelback show is probably incredible. I think maybe you've seen them. I'm, uh, we'll 
look forward to that in your story. But yeah, I mean, that was kind of my first uh, interaction with the band and obviously have spent numerous hours, hours and hours and hours over the course of my life defending this band. (laughs) And you and I have done so in tag team format often. Um, which I always enjoyed. And, and, you know, we, we always end up getting people, I'm not sure if we change people's minds, but we certainly give people a pretty straightforward perspective as to why, you know, we don't buy into all the bias crap about this and take them for what they are. And when you take them for what they are, they got some good stuff out there. And uh, I've always enjoyed those discussions, particularly when you get with the, uh, the more smug music elite types, you know, and, uh, And oftentimes, you know, you in particular, you know, they see that you're into yes and, uh, you know, Genesis and Prague and wigwam and those type of things. Right. And, and they think that you're going to like trash Nickelback, you know, and then you're like, actually, I really like them. And to just see them like, be like, what bro? Like you weren't supposed to say that bro, you know, and, and you have a good basis for it and defend it. And, and I've always enjoyed uh wingmanning you when necessary on those discussions. So that's, that's, you know, kind of another thing we've spent a lot of time over our, uh, the course of our lives doing is uh, giving this band their proper defense. I love that move because it's, it's, it's similar to a lot of other bias ease that we live in, in today's world. If you're the one who steps up and challenges it, it's, it's actually really fun because people like they're almost stunned. It's like they got punched in the face. They can't believe it. They're like, you actually like them? Yeah. And then every once in a while, you catch somebody really honest to you, which is rare nowadays, right? Because people can't get out of their bias. Every once in a while, you get somebody who say, well, actually, I think they're okay. Oh, 100%. 100%. It happens all the time. Happens all the time. It's like, you know, later that night they're wasted or something. They're like, you know, I actually do like Nickelback. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Truth comes out, you know. So anyway, uh, what is your wonder story, Nubbles? I'm very interested. So pretty much college band for me, T. I mean, Columbus, Ohio had, you know, pretty strong rock radio. I don't think it compares to what we have in Detroit, but a couple really good stations and you know, the, the song that you so eloquently uh, voiced for us earlier was, was certainly all over rock radio during that year. And it was actually my senior year in college. So, you know, kind of an exciting time and a lot of good new music and, you know, early 2000s. So just sort of discovered them in that traditional way, kind of same as you. It wasn't a, a, an ex-girlfriend, but it was kind of, you know, I had friends that had similar music taste and People liked the song. I mean, I think it was just going to be another rock band named Nickelback. It wasn't going to become this big controversial thing or one of the most like polarizing and hated bands or anything. It was just kind of another band that sounded like Creed and came along and had a big hit. Uh, But, you know, for me, the, the first and only time, interestingly enough, that I saw Nickelback live was that year. So in the spring of my senior year, which would have been 2002, this tour came to Columbus called the campus invasion tour. I think it was MTV that sponsored it. So dig this T. So, so all four of the bands that were on it, I, I went on to really like, but here was the lineup, right? Nickelback headlined default, you know, who was another Canadian hard rock band, very good band, a band called injected, which is a very short lived band on uh, I think they're on Islander interscope records, put out a really good album and then like broke up. But the album is, it's awesome. It's a powerful rock album. Injected's one of those really kind of like 
overlooked bands. And then the fourth of four bands they played outside to start the show was Star Sailor. Oh, okay. Okay. Isn't that, I mean, isn't yeah. that the most random thing ever? Star Sailor played outdoors on a little stage. And then the whole crowd moved indoor into Value City Arena. And it was injected, then default, then Nickelback. I remember because the singer of Star Sailor, you know, a little bit of a wanker. He made fun of Chad Krieger during their set. He said, oh, would you like us more if I stand like this? And then he did that iconic and rather heavily parodied you know, stance that Chad Krieger has while he sings and plays guitar. And everybody laughed, even though they were all Nickelback fans. And then I remember vividly, he said, I'm just kidding. They're lovely people, you know? And I thought, Oh, that's good. He said, they're lovely people. So that was the first time I saw them live. The only time to this date that I've seen them live, powerful, good rock show, lots of cool lighting, like just everything you would expect. But I remember it wasn't as much the hit that kind of brought me in, but it was a song off of silver side up, which was a song called woke up this morning. And it had this really big riff, like this octave riff, do 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 Wow, dude. And it just, you know, it kind of had that big crashing rock sound. And that song actually drew me in a lot more than the 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 hit single, which what was it called? The Never Waited as a Buzz, the one you sing. What is that called again? I don't even remember. Um How You Remind Me. How you remind me. Yeah. How you remind me. So yeah, woke up this morning, it was kind of like my jam versus how you remind me. Cause even by that time, how you remind me was fairly overplayed on rock radio. So, and then, you know, just like the band, you know, it was just the band that I liked. It wasn't, they were never my favorite band, but they were always going to be a band that I dig or pick up or, you know, maybe buy their new album. And I reviewed a couple of their albums in the mid two thousands and enjoyed that process. And, you know, it was just cool. I mean, it was, there was just nothing that faux pas about Nickelback until, you know, a few years into their career. And then everyone just started wanting to hate on them and they became that band that you'd make fun of if you didn't like that style of music. So I continue to ask the question, you know, why do people hate this band so much? And, um, you know, the more that I've gotten into them through the years, the more that I've had a hard time answering that question, if you're really looking at without any bias. So there you go. So, all right. See, so with that, the most recent Nickelback album is feed the machine and it's time to drop the needle on feed the machine. Let's do it. Gotta love the rock move of starting the album with the title track. But this one's a title track with songwriting credit to all four members of Nickelback. But I'll tell you what, it's all about the riff. And I think this riff is exceptional. When you look at the opening track, Feed the Machine. Big sweeping chorus and lots of rhythmic things going on, but the riff, which Maestro you didn't you didn't bring out, but it's a do 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 do. I mean, oh, I feel like I failed. I finally failed you. Listen, Maestro, you never fail. Sorry, buddy. I I I I wanted to get in that 
that other part, but yeah, sorry. Well, it's a tough song to pick kind of your favorite. Part, <laughs> yeah. Everything gels well together. I, I love the fact that the songwriters are all four members because you can just hear that cohesion. And while Chad Krieger or whoever wrote that riff, maybe it was Ryan really driving the song along, you know, it, it's just a very effortless composition, but one with quite a bit of intricacy and, and a lot of skill too. I mean, you, you know, anyone who cracks these guys' musicianship, just listen to Feed the Machine and hopefully that would address that. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a great opener. It's and I think they played this um first live on the tour and you know that with that long intro and with some of the, you know, kind of robotic-y stuff going on. And yeah, this sets the tone really nicely for what you're getting. And it's got, you know, different tempos within, uh kind of that cut in half chorus. And certainly uh, just a real, just a real rocker, just an in your face, but, but not bullheaded in your face. I mean, I feel like the previous album, when it rocked, it was just too predictable. It was bullheaded. It wasn't intelligent. Whereas Feed the Machine, you get the idea early that they had really, you know, taken their composition up a notch with these different tempos, different dynamics, great opener. And an opener and to your point earlier about the, the previous album sucking, and I think you were, you were less diplomatic, but, but more accurate, I think, about you know, that album. But th- this song told me, okay, this is going to be a good record. You know, it, it just had that as a lead single. It just was a signal that this was going to be a really strong album. And like any strong album, you, know, you start, you grab people's attention, and song two is meant to elevate. And I think that's the, the goal here with track two, which is Coin for the Ferryman. They've always used the pause really well. I think that's one of their the signatures of the Nickelback thing is they do a really good job with short pauses, longer pauses. It creates that dynamic. And they, they have a nice way of exiting and re-entering. You know, the, it's like this exit re-entry sort of deal that they, it, it's sort of one of their moves, but they mix up the way that they use it. And to me, Quinn for the Ferryman is a good example of that. Yeah, I like when bands... You know, it's very formulaic to kind of put your single track to, and it'd be very easy for Nickelback to do that. But I actually like when bands put something track to as a way of building the entire record. I like that. You know, it got it gets away because I don't think Coin for the Ferryman was ever intended to be a single, but it's a rocker. It's sludgy. It's raw. Right. And it's it comes off of kind of the polish of feed the machine nicely. And as opposed to saying, Oh, here we go. Track two will be the single. You're kind of saying, Hmm, where's this going? Or this seems to be going in a direction where we're going to get a lot of different dynamics throughout this thing. And you certainly do. So I think that um, it's an important track to where you get to it and you realize we're not getting kind of the same old Nickelback you know, predictable track one rocker, track two single thing. It's kind of, you know, really setting a tone in these first two tracks. It's it really comes out strong with these first two. No question. See, there's another element to this song that I'd like to point out that, uh, you know, I mean, I can't, I can't be presumptuous and say that you, uh, that you would have any, you know, experience or knowledge of this, but there's kind of another 
trait to this band that I think can't be overlooked when you're really diving into Nickelback. And well, let me let me just see if I can bring it out, you know, in, in action. So like, go ahead and start coined for the ferryman because it's a perfect song to to point this out. But go ahead and start that song just kind of from the beginning and and I'll kind of bring out the element here. Hey guys, welcome tonight. Uh, why don't we give it up right now? Welcome to the stage store. Welcome to the stage. <laughs> okay, I I see where you're going. I see where you're going. Is this? Uh, are you are you implying that uh, that uh, Nickelback might be uh, a good uh, soundtrack for a, a, a gentleman's establishment? I'm just acknowledging the fact that I think this band has been used as a soundtrack in many different settings. I think that's fair. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, I don't give it a crack. What do you, what do you think? Let's just, uh, let's, let's hear. Uh, well, it's kind of like a, a now coming to the stage, please put your hands together for Roxy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. uh, not that I've ever, you know, frequented, such an establishment i would imagine that that's kind of the way it goes of uh in fact this is just two guys guessing but a guess just yeah educated guess for sure yes. but yep, yep but uh you know maybe along with guns and roses i would say perhaps the band that has been the most frequented soundtrack of you know lots of different <laughs> settings of entertainment <laughs> lots of different entertainment settings probably a good call probably a good call there by the way, I like your announcer voice. It's good. I mean, it's, it was nice. It was low and it was good. And, it, you know, that, that would that would inspire me to, uh, you know. Well, I mean, what, what, what do you think my retirement job's going to be? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, T. Well, uh, we kind of get the first ballad look. And this is where Chad Krieger uh, and company decided to bring in a little bit of outside songwriter help, as he's done a couple times of late, especially when you look at you know, kind of the well-crafted ballad type of song. And that is track three, which is Song on Fire. It's not my favorite of the Nickelback ballads. And, and the, if we're going to be fair and unbiased, I will say that Song on Fire probably represents a lot of the things that people do hate about this band. You know, it's a, it's a song about writing a song, which is a little, you know, it's, it's a little hokey and it does have kind of the big movements and things like that. It's, it's well done. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't dislike the song, but out of all the Nickelback kind of well-crafted ballads, this would not be near the top of the list. And I do see how some would hold it against this band that there might be a little bit of, if, you, if you're prone not to like Nickelback, this probably echoes some of the elements that people don't like. So just to be fair, if we do look at why do people hate this band so much, this song might have a few aspects of it in terms of why people might. And part of it is maybe bringing in the outside songwriters. That's kind of a Christina Aguilera move more than it is a, you know, a Foo Fighters move, just to keep going with the same kind of comparison we had earlier. but. I don't know. What's your overall take on Song on Fire? I, I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, and you know, I am, <laughs> I am pretty partial to the Nickelback ballad. I mean, I do like most of them. Um, I think it's great, you know, and, and getting a little songwriting help. I know that, you know, they got some Nashville help 
on a couple of these deals uh, on the deal here. And I think that's fine. You know, I mean, if you're one of the last remaining album sellers, unit shifters, right, then do it. You know, I mean, oh, for I, we talked about this last week with the Barry Manilow episode and, and when we played the did Barry write it, you know, it's just, by the way, a great game show. Still under protest. Still under protest. <laughs> oh, come on. You could never have looked that stuff up that quickly. Come on. But there, there is absolutely nothing wrong with bringing in outside songwriters. But again, if you're trying to pursue that question, why do people hate this band so much? It just could be one thing. It's like, oh, they're bringing in hit making machines to come in and help them make more hits. But you know what? You're not going to hold that against the band too much. Are you? Well, and, and, and is there one song on this that Chad Krieger isn't listed as a songwriter on? So, I right. Mean, correct. Yeah. Good point. I mean, he's, he's proved himself, right? Yeah. I mean, these are, you know, bringing in assistance uh, is different than, you know, taking a song that somebody else wrote and recording it. So I think it's great. You know, I, I really like the, you know, after you, you come out pretty mighty, there with uh, Feed the Machine and Coin for the Ferryman. I think this is a nice track three level off. And uh, yeah, I think there's a couple of great ballads on this record. And this is one of them. Perfect. Well, we leave Ballad Land as we get into the always important track four on a rock album. And that would be a rocker must be nice. I think Nickelback has had, you know, uh, blends of success when it comes to the stomper, the 4-4 stomper. This one to me really works. I mean, how do you not nod your head along with this one? And again, just that kind of 4-4 on the floor drive. And I, I'm not surprised it wasn't a hit, but I'm also not surprised it, it was a single. I love it. Great coming off of Song on Fire, a 4-4 stomper. You're, you're exactly right. That's a great way to put it. Um, yeah, this is them doing them, right? I mean, this is fist pumper, stomper, stuff that we don't get a lot of anymore. And it's polished and well done, well sung. You know, this is this is some gritty vocal here yeah, from, from yeah. Krieger. And uh, you know, I don't know who does gritty vocal better than him. But uh, yeah, I love this one coming off of Song on Fire. And it's nicely sandwiched in between two of the more slower, more emotional Nickelback tunes that I have such a soft spot for here. So uh, yeah, I really like where it's placed here on track four. Well, let's look at the other side of the sandwich, as T put it, in the second, in my opinion, the better of the two ballads, and that is After the Rain. that nashville sound again to you know this is it's certainly not what you would call a crossover hit by any means but i think in the modern ballads that the band has done there's much more emphasis on finding different styles and different sounds and different melodies that aren't just you know hard rock ballads and and this feels like that you know i I could see this being transformed into a country song if one wanted to do it. No matter how dreadful that would be, I could see it happening. But <laughs> what do you think after the rain, especially in compared to Song on Fire? I love it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's a great song. It, it's you know, 
it's got a great groove to it. I love the groove, you know, um, and certainly some composition assistance here that you can sense. It's really well produced. It's got a great middle. I think it's an awesome song. This reminds me of a Def Leppard era, uh, hysteria or adrenalized era ballad. This and song on fire are two really good approaches. And, uh, and I like how they both are on side one. It makes for a really nice side. But yeah, I think After the Rain probably is the best song on the record. And I, I, I'm glad you mentioned the sides, well-sequenced uh, to, to close out side one. You know, when we ask that question, why do people hate this band so much? I will tell you that this next track makes that question very, very difficult to answer because I just think it totally and utterly rocks. And that is track six for the river. Right, see, we got it. We got to test our theory again. Just give me, give me it from the top. Let's just, let's just, let's just try one more time here. <laughs> right, oh, me, the 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 gents establishment theory. Okay. Hey, hope everyone's having a good time tonight, guys. Welcome here tonight, everybody. Really give it up tonight as we're being up to the stage. Here's Misty. <laughs> it's is basically any name that ends in Y. Is that kind of how it works? <laughs> it's like perfect, right? It's a perfect yeah. sound. Yeah, it's it, it works. It works. I T I just think For the River is is just so good. You know, and, and again, like songwriting composition, riff, all those things, but it the song builds and builds and elevates and it just gets you to this place. I just oh I love it, man. What do you think of For the River? It's probably my least favorite, honestly. You know, I mean, I think right? it's, wow. yeah, yeah. I, I think it's good. I mean, it's it's not um, it's not a throwaway. I think it comes off of After the Rain nicely. It's a well sequenced record. It really is. Um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's if it was between this or Must Be Nice for me, as far as a a, a stomper, I would go with Must Be Nice. Um, it's good. Yeah, if I if I had to line this up against the rest of it, it might actually be my least favorite. But I get it. I mean, I get you know why you like the pure rocker element of it because because it does wail. Can I admit one bias that I do have maybe towards this song and why I do put it above the others? Sure, is because of who plays the guitar solo. It's it's a very very special guest, and that is Nuno Betancourt from Extreme on guitar. Ah. He, he plays the solo, so I have okay. to admit that might be fueling a little bit of my bias because you know if you have bias you better admit it maybe i'm a little biased towards the song because nuno one of my favorite guitarists plays a solo so there you go but it's, it's a pretty shredding solo too i saw a recent like clip of nuno betancourt playing i think extreme did a little reunion thing recently and the guy looks amazing he looks the same as he did yeah, From like yeah. 1992. He hasn't, aged. he hasn't aged at all. It's not fair. He hasn't aged at all. He still plays great. Like, not fair, but it was cool. Definite, uh, you know, 90s man crush for me, Nuno Betancourt. How could you not? You know, just like the way he played and he had long hair and looked so cool. That guy was just awesome. I think you and every other red blooded American <laughs> yeah, male right, had, exactly. a, had a man crush on Nuno at some point. 
Absolutely. Side two continues with track seven, the simply titled Home. I don't know why I don't consider this as ballady as the other two, but you know, maybe, maybe you'll change my thinking on that. But to me, this song is just, you know, fantastic. I, I, I don't, I don't know why I can't really compare it against those. It is a slower tempo, but I think it's just the emotion behind it and the heaviness. It's still a very, very heavy song, right? even though, um, you know, some might consider it that ballad type of feel, but I, I think home is magnificent. I, I agree with you. I, I don't think it's a true ballad. It's emotional. I mean, that, that doesn't, you know, that's what's great about Nickelback. They, they had, when they got it right and they didn't always get it right, but when they got it right, they could deliver emotion without being sappy. They could jam without being predictable. They could, you know, deliver a, a catchy rock tune without being overly calculated. It was kind of like they, they were able to get right to that edge, you know, and they sort of knew how not to overcook whatever they were doing. Home's a great example. This could have turned into a calculated formulaic ballad that just sort of, you know, but they kept it something that really jams because it does, but something with a lot of feeling. And they were able to kind of get it to the edge of all those areas in brilliant fashion. And you have to really credit the composition, but also the production for pulling that off. It's a great song. I think the production is key, no doubt about it, but Chad Krieger's ability to write these triumphant choruses, you know, it just gives you something you can build around. I think he's an okay verse writer, you know, he's fine, like functional verse writer, but these choruses, I mean, you know, you could build anything around these, a chorus like what's on home is just, it's so powerful, you know, and it's so memorable. And, and to your point, T, when the band gets it right, the, it, these songs are packed with emotion, even with all the polish of their production there's still a very human element to it. And, and that's what makes a song like home really special. I think it's a standout on the album without question. And again, who wrote it? Chad Krieger solo, no songwriting help on that one. There you go. Right. There's a sort of interesting um, <laughs> multi-part thing going on here with an act one and an act three. I don't know if there's a sense of humor behind this. or what, I was but- hoping that maybe you could explain this. Um, I don't know. I have no explanation for how the Betrayal <laughs> Act 3 is track 8 and the Betrayal Act 1 is track 11. Regardless, uh, track 8 is an interesting one to get into, and that is Act 3 of The Betrayal. Pretty good air drum song based on what I'm seeing from you over the screen here, T. I love that little pause, you know, it's just smart production and they don't overdo that. They only do it once throughout the whole song, but they pull everything off and just leave that drum kick just for, you know, half a bar. It's, it's nice, smart stuff, smart production stuff going on here, but boy, it's a rocker, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I like the heaviness of it. Kind of a reminder. Hey guys, we're still a, a true hard rock band and could still, you know, almost borderline metal and, and Nickelback without question at times have, has certainly danced with metal as a genre, but I agree with you on the, the craftiness of just their little intricacies. That's what's really underrated about this band, you know, and again, those who hate them, I, they're missing out on a lot of 
cleverness. You know, there's just clever, crafty decisions that they make within the songs. It's pauses, it's little instrumentation here. It's things that as a listener, you don't expect and then they happen. And it's, it's very cool the, the way they kind of wrinkle in some of those intricate details. All right, back to sort of more of the oh, like sort of radio-friendly rockers. If you will, this song wasn't a single. I'm actually kind of surprised. And I, I always wondered, hey, would this one ever be released or anything like that? Because it, it's got the catchiness and kind of the, you know, kind of the smoothness of a lot of their other hit singles. But, uh, but I think an important song in the album late, and that is Trek 9, Silent Majority. Another thing cool about this band, and I, maybe it's their Canadian roots that allow this, kind of apolitical, you know, but the phrase yeah. silent majority is certainly at this point a rather political term for those who are not, you know, of the history type, you know, silent majority is, is a term that was actually coined by Richard Nixon when he was mm-hmm. president to describe his constituency, you know, which was kind of the, the Americans that you don't hear from a lot, but have strong beliefs about what they think the country should be. And, and he felt like he represented that and supported that. And so it's a term that's carried on through the years. So it's an interesting song title choice. When I first saw it, I'm like, oh crap, Nickelback's going to get political and this is going to get ugly. But they didn't. It's actually kind of an uplifting song that doesn't seem to be taking any sort of stance on a side, but really just an explanation of you know, what is a silent majority and how powerful can it be? And, and it can be very powerful. And so I, I just really like the lyrical theme of it. And I really appreciate the fact that they didn't take it into some sort of bias area, but just kind of explained their views on, you know, what this kind of concept is all about. So, yeah. Well, and even if it is a little political and, and, you know, who knows, I, I, I don't think it is. Cause I don't, I don't think they were into that, but you know, around this time, this is 2017. I mean, a lot of things were, were getting to be when they did even even touching on a term like silent majority, which to your point has some political history to it. You know, it, it became so whiny, you know, it was kind of like, oh, I don't like this or I don't like this. And it's all sides and it's all people uh, across the spectrum. But, you know, people were using music and sometimes even rock music as a time to like sound off about this or that. And I like that these guys were able to touch on, to your point, a political theme without going over the top with it or whining about it. It's a very, it's a pretty optimistic song. It's a a song that is um, sort of unifying in a way for people that listen to it and understood it and sometimes do feel like that silent majority. I mean, I like it resonated with me, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm as unpolitical as anybody, but I think it's cool that they took that angle during a time when a lot of people in the music scene were using a political angle as a way to like whine and bitch and moan. These guys were perhaps using a political angle or, or at the least a you know political term to create something that was upbeat, that was pretty uplifting. And uh, I dig it. I think it's a nice way to take you down the stretch here at the end of uh, Feed the Machine. It's a good take to you in a smart perspective. And I appreciate that because again, theme of the show bias. And I think they're showing here that you can actually talk about things that are out there without 
being biased. And props to Nickelback for taking that approach for sure. All right, the last kind of real song on the album is track 10, and that is Every Time We're Together. Nice little mid-tempo rocker, and it would not be a Nickelback album without a song from Chad Krieger talking about, you know, the old days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I dig his sense of nostalgia. I do. You know, even a song like Photograph, which I loved. I mean, I, I still like that song a lot. And it was so parodied and people were so just kind of mean about it. But you know, he, he definitely seems to be reaching back here and there, you know, usually want an album for this sort of tales of yesteryear sort of theme. And I don't know, man, as two guys kind of in our young forties, like I'm kind of the point now where hearing a, a kind of a reach back to nostalgia is okay. You know, it doesn't bother me too much. I love this song. And part of it is that, you know, you, again, it's like without being too hokey or without being too goofy to be able to kind of do this fun thing about embellishing stories and about the good old days and it's fun you know and like for the love of god can we just find a way to have some damn fun again you know and part of what i love here is you know you're down the stretch of this record you're coming off silent majority that you know had some a little bit more probably serious tones to it you know lyrically and then you just got this fun, jamming, rocking, sing-along tune that is very relatable, very simple. And uh, it's one of my favorites on the record. I, I think it's great. I think it all works together nicely and um, could have probably been a country song and, you know, lyrics probably. Well, it does have, he co-wrote it with Joe Nichols, who is a country songwriter. So yeah, yeah. It, this one is easily the most overtly kind of crossover. Yeah. of the lot. And again, it's still very much a Nickelback song, but you know, if Taylor Swift did this in her country days, it would probably be a gigantic hit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, I'm surprised it wasn't a bigger hit, but um, it's great. I think it's a great way to wrap this up. Well, Hey, you said it. And uh, that really wraps up the songs, but the album does wrap up with an 11th track. And that is, as, as we previously mentioned, a little confusing. This is the betrayal Act one, an instrumental closer. So written and performed by Ryan Peak. I, th- I think it's a nice acoustic ditty for sure. Kind of a throwback for me of kind of the Steve Howe moments on Yes albums or, you know, some of those moments where you previously mentioned Nuno Betancourt, you know, on some of the extreme albums, he would do a little guitar ditty. Uh, and Ryan Peake, who, like I said, I think is an underrated guitarist. It's kind of a interesting composition. And I do like that they ended the album on a more dramatic note. It's a nice little closer, you know, brings the thing to a close. It makes you feel like the album was to your point, very, very well sequenced, but more of an experience than just a collection of songs. So how fired up were you when you got this record and you looked and you said the betrayal act three followed by the betrayal act. What? Oh my God. They've gone prog. This is a, this is going to be a concept album. They, they've gone prog. I mean, how pumped were you? And then, and then you listen to it. It's like, mm, what? 
What, <laughs> what's this betrayal thing? But no, it's cool. I mean, it's cool to wrap it up. And it's, a, yeah, it's a nice piece. I like the journey. And I think it's, again, thoughtfulness. And that's what, again, why do people hate this band so much? Well, they probably ignore the thoughtfulness, you know, and this is a band still that understands the concept of the album and creates a journey with the album. And, um, and this certainly brings that journey to a close. So T, let's do our analysis, shall we? Of Feed the Machine. So what do you think? Does this album matter? And now, gentlemen, hope you're having a good night out there. Remember, we got two for one cherry bombs up at the bar. Kamikazes are $2 a piece. Now coming to the stage. Did it matter? (laughs) There you go. It works every time. (laughs) <laughs> I got to tell you though, you have a real almost, I mean, can I maybe almost frightening talent for that? I mean, that, <laughs> that was like scarily good. I think I know what your retirement gig truly is going to be. Well, I, I, well, maybe I missed my calling all along, frankly, but uh, you got to get like the slick back hair and the sunglasses and, you know, wear like an Ario Speedwagon shirt. Yeah. You know? Yellow tinted sunglasses, I think is the way to go there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. You, I, I have to say you're, you're extremely good at that and a little too good at it, I have to say. <laughs> well, I, again, it's so I've heard these are the, what these. Uh, that's right. These, that's right. Just speculating. Yeah. Just speculating. These places are like, you know, these classy joints. Um, no, I mean, it didn't matter. I don't, I don't know that any Nickelback album matters or will matter. Uh, I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just rock and roll. I think it's just fun. I think it's not meant to be absorbed too seriously now this record in particular i do think you can take about as seriously as any of them because it's very thoughtful it's very well done i think that the band matured a little bit with this and i think also they stepped up to the plate because i don't think they were that pleased with the record before this either you know i i don't think i don't think anyone thought that that was a good output and i'd be surprised if chad did too so it's a you know, getting a little bit of assistance, but writing every song, getting the production right, getting the sequencing right is a very thoughtful. You can tell that they knew they had to come out with something good here. Um, and they did. And they did. So, you know, for for the band, I think it's um, I mean, it's their best record by far, top to bottom. There, there's that, that, that that's not even really that close. So for the band, you know, probably something pretty important. But no, I don't I don't think you could say that really any uh, Nickelback record in the grand scheme of things will will matter. But that doesn't mean it's not good. How about you now? What do you say? I agree with all that. I, I would answer the question simply with the word no. But here's the thing, T. I, this would be one of those albums that I would hope that in, you know, 15 years, 20 years, the same way that you and I discovered things from the seventies when we were teenagers, I would love if this was one of those albums that just some kid found at a vintage record store or however people will be purchasing and listening to music in 20 years and pick it up and say, man, this is really good. You know, and just say, I want to learn more about this band. This sounds great. The songs are, are excellent. And that it might allow for a listener in 20 years to go back and appreciate it. So. I hope this album has a little bit of a shelf life because the quality of it is so high that maybe a future listener, again, whether five, 10, 15 years in the future, will pick it up and say, man, this 2017 album is, is really strong and 
really robust and something that, you know, I might tell a few friends about and then you never know what might happen, but that would be kind of the, the hope. But in terms of, does it matter right now to today's audience? No, I wouldn't say it does. That, that would be too big of a stretch. I wish it would. I wish people would get over their bias, but that's really hard. You know, there it is. Way to bring it back, buddy. That's oh. good. That's a good piece of hosting right there. <laughs> well, let's uh, see if we can achieve more good pieces of hosting as we get into the final cut. T, let's do the final analysis. Is Feed the Machine on the turntable? Is it in the collection? Is it collecting dust or is it in the for sale bin? T, where do you got it? Buddy, you brought two in a row. This is on the turntable for me. I, you know, it's 11 tracks and every single one is good. I, I, you know, this is, this is a record that, and boy, if you go back, I mean, even within the last several years, it's pretty rare that you have an album in these days, you know, I mean, when you're not listening to vinyl, you're usually listening on your mobile phone or whatever through, um, a service that makes it pretty easy to flip songs. So flipping songs is easy. And we've talked about a few of them on previous episodes. And sometimes when you got to flip, you got to flip and it doesn't take anything away from the album experience, but Hey, you got to do it. This one, I, I go, I go through it and I have no intention of flipping any song, any song that's unique. That's unique, especially these days. Um, so I think they put together their best album by far. Uh, there are so many moments on here that are strong, um, that are emotional. And that just make you feel good. You know, I mean, it's just a record that, and I remember around this time it came out, it was like, you were just looking for something to kind of make you smile, make you have a little bit of fun, make you rock out a little bit. And, and I think they did a masterful job. This, this is on the turntable. So that's two straight that you've brought where I've put them on the turntable. So well done. Credit to you, buddy. What do you got? What's your final cut nub? T in the words of Kurt Gowdy, how about that? You know? Good uh, and good uh, uh, naked gun reference too. Yeah, one. totally. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm I'm always I always have the pleasure of we do this from your studio, and I can look behind you and see all your albums of the year. So one of my questions is, what beat this out in 2017 to be your album of the year? Because I mean, this had to be a finalist, I would guess. So it was really close. I mean, it was really really close, and this was easily the runner up, but eight of hearts by one of my favorite bands, blinker, the star, you know, took album of the year in 2017, but I'll tell you, it was not by much. It was not by much. And, uh, and I, obviously I have this as part of the collection, the LP collection. And, and I will have it in my collection for a very long time, but yeah, it did get just barely edged out in 2017 by what is a wonderful blinker, the star record. But, um, yeah, it was a close one. Well, see, I love the fact that you're putting so many things on your turntable. That's a good thing. I've got Feed the Machine in the collection. And the reason why is because it is Nickelback's best album. There's no doubt about it. It'll be fascinating to see what they come up with next, you know, but it's their best record. It's a band that's been around for 26 years. It's a very misunderstood band. And it's a band that if people would get over their bias, they would really enjoy it. So I think it should be in the collection for everybody. And here's why it's an album you could pull out, put on and people go, Oh, I really like this. What is it? And the second you say it's actually Nickelback, then they'll go, Oh, okay. And maybe they'll have to eat a little bit of that crow from their, uh, <laughs> their bias against this band. But yeah, it, it's, uh, it's in the collection because it's an important band's best album. 
And, you know, there's a few hiccups on it that would stop it from turntable for me. I love that it's turntable for you and I could totally see why. But solidly in the, in the collection and maybe the only Nickelback album that I would say would have that category. Everything else is kind of a few, a few songs here, a few songs there. But to me, this yep. is the, the true work. The, this is the true great work of that band. And I hope they supersede it. I think it's going to be tough to, but uh, we'll have to see what happens. I agree. Good take. T, time to uh, continue to uh, what, what feed, feed the machine for our ears, if you will, huh? How's that for segue? And uh, <laughs> does your back hurt after that one? That, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> let's close up shop with a little bit of uh, what is in your head. All right, T, three songs go. Well, the first is uh, by a band called uh, ACDC, and uh, this one is called Money Talks. One of my favorite rock and roll songs, certainly of the, I guess it's early 90s technically, but probably of all time as far as that sort of classic rock type genre. I love Money Talks. So that's a real beauty. The second is by a band called ACDC, and this is Jailbreak. Uh, it's actually the live version on You Want Blood. Just just total jam. Just freaking, I love that old Bon Scott stuff. And, you know, tough, tough one to beat. Tough one to beat. And the third is, uh, believe it or not, I got a song by a band called ACDC called Big Balls. Nubs, what's in your head? I feel incredibly uncool <laughs> because, you know, all of us should listen to more ACDC. So I might have to be influenced <laughs> by you and go in that direction. First for me would be the song Wait by White Lion. Not a ah. great band from the late 80s. Not yep. a great band, yep. but a band that created three or four you know, of the best songs of that decade and of that kind of 80s rock genre. Wait's a great song. You know, it's funny about White Lion. I thought they were a great band because I was like, Oh my God, this radar love song is so good. It's like, how did they like, this is, this is brilliant. And then it was like, Oh, that's funny. Oh, oh, golden earring. did. Oh, that's a cover. Oh, (laughs) you know, but I was like, Holy shit. It was like this white lion group's amazing. Cause you know, you listen to radar love and it's like, it sounded so throwback. And so like, I mean, it's one of the best driving songs, one of the best rock and roll songs ever. And you listen to them thinking it's them. And it's like, you know, you got weight. I think it's track too, if I'm not mistaken on that. Was it pride that album? Yeah. It's on pride. Yeah. And, and you're like, Oh, these guys are incredible. And then you find out that radar love wasn't even close to their own song. You know, but you know, that's funny. And you know, the, the podcast always brings up these funny memories from the past, but you're totally right. that. You did love Radar Love, and I and until you realized that they didn't actually do that song originally, I, I, I think you were digging that as a White Lion song. <laughs> I yeah. thought they were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. I love it. All right. Second for me, in terms of In Your Head, would be uh, the song Push It by Static X. So maybe, maybe this is a little consistent with Nickelback, but I thought just, you were going to say Salt and Peppa. Oh, <laughs> no, but did you, have you, speaking of salt and pepper, have you watched the coming to America yet? I, I haven't watched coming to America. Okay. You said it was, it's, it's worth the watch and legit Absolutely. funny. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Legit funny. Yeah. You'll, you'll check it. And you'll know what I mean by that salt and pepper thing when you see it. Okay. But, but uh, no static X push it, which was, should have been a bigger song, but you go back and listen to it. I mean, it's 
big, you know, massive kind of driving rock song, kind of an industrial thing, thing, Wayne static, God rest his soul, uh, you know, really bringing in on that song. And then lastly would be, we talked about your 2017 album of the year being Blink of the Star. My 2017 album of the year actually was The Mission by Styx. Okay. And amazingly enough, that would be uh, one of the songs that's been in my head this week. And that would be The Outpost, which is one of the closing tracks on that absolutely incredible album by Styx. It's one of those Styx albums that even people who hate Styx, you know, consistent with tonight's episode are like, okay, that album's really good. And it's, it was from 2017. It's a concept album. It's, it's worth checking out. Absolutely. And the outpost is my favorite song on it and took a couple spins of that this week for sure. All right. See, well, maybe we worked some people out of their bias. Maybe, I don't know, but regardless I think any opportunity we have to sing the praises of Nickelback is a good thing. Maybe some people think that we haven't moved the needle. Maybe some people think we have, but at the very least, we've tried to bring out why everyone should just be fair. Just give this band a fair shot and feed the machines a great place to start. If you're going to give this band a fair shot, isn't it? Put your biases aside and then just relax. (laughs) Take it slow and let the good times roll. Yeah. (laughs) In the words of Steve Stifler. (laughs) Now, great pick. It was, you know, fun to talk about those guys and we will keep defending. Hey, 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 Chad, we will keep defending you, man. Screw the black keys. We will keep defending you. You have our word, buddy. Absolutely, man. We we have this band's back. We have Nickelback's back. (laughs) And we've got all your backs as our listeners. We are so thankful for those of you that tune into Two Twins and an Album here in episode 39. Make sure and Leave your feedback, leave your comments, check us out on all of our platforms and make a request because I tell you, T, in a couple of weeks, we got a request episode coming up and we're looking forward to it. So Alrighty. thank you so much as always for tuning in. We will see you next week for more fun and excitement and here on Two Twins and an album. Two Twins and an album. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.